Why 480? It's the number that drives our work lives. 480 minutes. That's all you have every workday. And the decisions that you make each minute can change everything. When you plan out your business goals over the next two years, that's only 480 workdays to get it done. In your entire 40-year career, you've only got 480 months to make an impact with your work. Time is the limit we can't control. Because time is your most precious resource. This is the Leadership 480 Podcast. Hello again, and welcome to the Leadership 480 Podcast from DDI. I'm your host today, Craig Irons. Today we are talking about a subject that relates to the 480 minutes every leader has every day to make an impact. And that is the subject of ethical behavior. To talk about that today, we have a very special guest. We have Dr. Liz Ritterbush, a consultant here at DDI who is based in Atlanta. And she also uh, is an expert in ethical behavior and ethics in the business world. Liz, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, thank you for having me. So let's kind of jump in here. You've done a great deal of research on the topic of ethical behavior. And so I guess just wondering, you know, what is it about that area that, that you find so interesting? Um, and, uh, you know, what are some of the areas you've explored? I think with ethics, it's it's something that always comes up, and it always comes up in media. It's very top of mind for so many people. But then there's this unsolvable question there. It's so gray. It's People have been talking about it for thousands of years. What is ethical? I quoted Aristotle and Kant in my research. We're quoting um, things from hundreds of years ago, and no one's come to agreement. So it's this giant puzzle that fascinates me and really gets conversations going and really gets people thinking about what other people are doing, what they're doing, what is society doing. Wow. So I understand then why you find it so interesting. I'd never thought of it in those terms. Yeah. So, you know, when most of us think about ethical behavior, mm-hmm. you know, we equate it with the degree to which someone is honest in both in what they say and in what they do. Is it really that simple or are there more dimensions to it? I think to a certain extent that does cover. I mean, that covers a lot of what we think about generally. But if we look at the textbook definitions, one of my favorite definitions looks at whether something is both socially and legally acceptable. Is it acceptable based on the social norms and based on the rules of the society? For example, driving five miles over the speed limit. Most people do it, it happens all the time. But is it technically against the rules? Yes. So to a certain extent, driving five miles over the speed limit is in that gray zone of being unethical because there's that two-part definition there. Now you're making me feel guilty about my driving (laughs) habits, Liz. I never said what my driving habits were. That's a great example. You know, as we all know, human beings are very complex. Mm -hmm. You know, some may never tell a lie, yet, you know, cheat when playing a board game or or what have you. Um, 
So I guess that sort of raises the question, maybe even back to what you were just talking about with the driving example. Is it possible for a person to be both an ethical person and an unethical person sort of at the same time? And I guess the question I'm ultimately asking here is to what extent is ethical behavior almost situational? Yeah, and I I think that there are certain people that are more likely to engage in ethical situations or be more ethical in certain contexts than in other contexts. One of the things I talk about, one of the things I'm very passionate about is that we might not be predicting ethics entirely in the right way. We tend to think that people who are rule focused, they're always going to be ethical. But will they be ethical when they're dealing with another person? Are there rules really when they're dealing with that other person? And my research has actually found that what predicts ethics in a rule-based situation, let's say accounting, and what predicts ethics in an interpersonal social situation, one-on-one, two completely different things, and you can be high in one and low in the other. Interesting. Tell me a little bit more about that. So you you mentioned how how someone could be, you know, very rule abiding, but, you know, still in a way be unethical. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Yeah. So the I call it the dilemma of the conscientious Machiavellian. To get a little bit into that, um, most of us have heard of being rule abiding or conscientious. Right common nomenclature. But for Machiavellianism, that's a new term for most people, it comes from this dark triad or dark side of psychology. And these are the people that are self-centered, manipulative, they tend to manipulate entire groups, entire rooms of people, not just manipulation one-on-one. And you can be a very conscientious, very hardworking, very detail-oriented, manipulative individual. I see. And for those individuals, on, pen, on paper, everything may look like they're doing everything ethically, but they're very quick to throw someone else under the bus. I think I can speak for all of our listeners when I say we all have encountered people like that. Yes. So let me just jump right to asking you, uh, you know, any advice for dealing with someone like that? I think as someone who researches this, that's, it's, it's hard because you really want to trust everyone that you're working with. And I think that you should trust everyone. But to a certain extent, you have to be cautious and realize that some people are wired this way. Sometimes you have to say, okay, there have to be boundaries there. Let's protect myself and protect the others. Uh, Because really, if they're going to walk all over you, they're going to walk all over other people as well. Trust. Mm -hmm. So is trust sort of, I guess you could say, a byproduct of behaving ethically? Or is, uh, you know, a, a situation where a high level of trust among a group is is critically important, does that tend to promote um, or encourage all the members of the group to be more ethical? Is there anything to that? Have you looked at that at all? Yeah, and I think ethics and trust go hand in hand. 
Uh, one of the things that people are looking for in organizations today is transparency. And that goes with that trust. If you have the transparency, they can trust the decisions coming down from the top. They can trust the policies. I definitely think that there's something to that. At the same time, here's where the gray area comes in, that ethical dilemma, the issues, because being too transparent, being too open, then you can have these manipulators insert themselves. Right, right. We're talking to Dr. Liz Ritterbush, a consultant here at DDI and an expert in the field of ethics. Liz, I know another area you've studied is a concept some of our listeners may not be familiar with, and that, that is servant leadership. Uh, what is servant leadership, and what's its relationship to ethics? So servant leadership came out in the 1960s, 70s, somewhere in there, um, by a, really a consultant at the time who was tired of looking at these transactional leadership theories. And it deals with the leader being a servant to their subordinates. Their first concern is the people that are working underneath them and working around them. And it's less objective-based. So instead of being focused on the business, they're focused on everything below them. Mm. And making sure, helping to develop those individuals. A lot of times there's this pro-sociality or this altruism that's there with these servant leaders. So we get more of that ethics again, where they're being, um, trying to think of how to say this, they're doing things in the service of others. And that might include being ethical and being transparent and being open with those individuals. Okay. You used the term, I believe, was pro-sociality. Pro-sociality. What does that mean? Um, Being pro-social, doing things for other people. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, One of the things in psychology, when we're looking at, for instance, psychopathy or psychopaths, we've raised that as antisocial. So the flip side is true. Pro-social is doing things for others. I see. Okay. Okay. Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah. You know, the subject of ethics and ethical behavior in business sort of goes through cycles of of being sort of front of mind. It seems like it's been really front of mind, uh, I would say, probably over the last 20 years or so, probably dating back to, well, Enron, which is probably the most notorious example of an organization that was really destroyed by, um, you know, a a total failure of, of ethics. But you know, one, thing's organization, one thing organizations have learned and learned the hard way, and Ron being a perfect example, is that when their executives or even their leaders or employees at lower levels behave unethically, it can prove extremely costly. You know, think of the fines they incur, lost business, you know, the stock price plummeting, what have you. But are there, are there other costs that we may not automatically think about that can result from unethical behavior? Uh, Yes, I think in today's climate especially, millennials are looking for organizations that they can trust. And it's not just for spending, it's not just for purchasing, it's for going to work there. They want to feel that their work has an impact, has a meaning, and they want to trust the company that they're working for. 
In today's market, we're really trying to find the best employees. Competition is high for these employees. We, they have the skills, they're innovative. We don't want to lose that, those individuals. We don't want to lose that talent pool. Right. Um, that's one of the side effects that I think people don't really realize, how it can jeopardize their reputation for decades. Hmm. So it's almost, um, you know, what you're describing is it's really important for an organization to be perceived as ethical if it wants to attract and retain talent. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Especially in today's environment. Mm-hmm. And uh, coming back to trust, you know, if people work in a, work for an organization they feel they can trust, work with people they feel they can trust, work for a manager they feel they can trust, um, that will most definitely impact performance or at the very least engagement, correct? Yes. Yes. Employees are going to be more engaged when they feel they can be more open. Yes. They can be more secure. They can express what they want to express and really call things out. It makes sense. So organizations, you know, they must see the benefit of being an ethical organization and having a culture that embraces and promotes ethical behavior. Uh, You know, given the value of it and all the things they can gain, uh, you know, how can an organization go about creating and sustaining that culture? There are a few different ways. We've talked about there's the person component and there's that context component that you mentioned. Some companies are doing integrity tests and they're doing it exceptionally well, where they're filtering for personalities or they're hiring personalities that are going to be more ethical. Examples of industries may include police officers, firefighters, those types of things. Mm But that's not enough. We have to make sure that we give them a business context that allows them to be ethical. Right. We have to make sure we're ensuring that culture of trust. We have to make sure that we have systems in place so that people can report if they see something going on or if they hear about something and they feel comfortable. There won't be any repercussions. They won't be excluded for doing something like being a whistleblower. Right. There's so many negative connotations there. So it really has to be kind of a multifaceted approach. And there's a lot to say for the personality component. Some people are really afraid of measuring personality and and saying, well, I don't want to look for ethical individuals. I don't want to filter out based on personality. If that context is strong enough, if that organization is strong enough with the culture and the climate, then the personality won't matter so much. Prime example, research has been done previously that found psychopaths make great surgeons. What? Psychopaths make (laughs) great surgeons. Think about it. If you're going in for surgery, do you want that surgeon really thinking about whether or not you're going to recover quickly, or if you're going to be able to make it to dinner the next day, or how it's going to affect you, you don't want them empathizing with you. You want them treating you like a job. You want them to distance themselves to a certain extent, right? Right. You don't want them to be homicidal maniacs. I mean, we know this to be true. True. But there are also rules and regulations in place. Right. 
if something were to happen, if they were to do something, they'd lose everything. They'd lose their licensure. They'd lose, I mean, everything. Right. So there are strict rules in place. Now, that's not to say that all surgeons are psychopaths. That's not what I'm trying to say. (laughs) But we find certain things like that, where sometimes the personality component doesn't really matter as much because the context is so strong. You've just said uh, some things there I want to dig into uh, over the next few questions. And we're talking uh, today to Dr. Liz Ritterbush, uh, the consultant here at DDI, uh, based in Atlanta, and uh, also uh, an expert on ethics in the workplace. So we talked about culture and how organizations, um, the importance of having a, an ethical culture. Um, to what extent is behaving ethically about the individual as opposed to the organization? And does that make it more challenging for organizations as they're trying to instill an ethical culture? I think, again, uh, to default to the classic consultant speak, it depends. Um, There are definitely some situations where personality is going to be more important, that context, right? There are some situations where ethics may not matter as much or the rules may not matter as much. They may not seem to matter as much. Holding open a door for your colleague Is anyone tracking that? No. Does it matter if your colleague has everything full? Their hands are loaded down and they can barely open the door? Do you report to that colleague? Do you work with that colleague? Do you, you know? Right. So it depends on the situation for so many things. I do think that companies with very strong cultures can really drive ethics in their organization. And it really seems to have this almost viral effect throughout the organization. So that um, kind of leads to a logical question. You touched on this a a minute Mm -hmm. ago, but it seems like the best way to have an ethical organization with an ethical culture is to hire ethical people. Uh, So that being the case, is is there a way to actually and accurately test to determine if someone is ethical during the selection process? It's so hard. It's so hard because if you're thinking about the high stakes nature of applying to a job, taking a test, right? there's a lot of reason there to lie if you really want that job. And a lot of the integrity tests that I've seen are pretty transparent, where it's asking a question like, Have you ever taken $20 out of the cash register? Who would say yes to that when they're applying for a job? I don't know anyone that would. Well, maybe, I hope I don't know anyone that would, but (laughs) (laughs) But I, I think that with, there are certain traits that you can look out for, and there are certain traits that you can foster. For example, you want someone that is courageous and outspoken. Mm-hmm. when they need to be. doesn't mean they have to be an extrovert, right? but they have to be willing to speak up. They also have to be authentic, back to that honesty component that you mentioned at the beginning. The more authentic, the more honest they are, the more likely they are to engage in ethical behavior. You combine that with the courage, and they're going to speak out about ethical behavior. And then 
because we know that whistleblowers tend to be kicked out, right? Yeah. I also try to look for some type of social balance uh-huh. because we want them being authentic. We want them standing up, but we want it tempered by emotional intelligence. How so? If you're just instantly running in and saying, I saw this, it has to be unethical, making a big stink about it, but maybe you interpreted the situation wrong, and you don't take that time to step back and think about it, which emotional intelligence allows you to do, really thinking through the situation and how to best approach it, then you're going to upset a lot of people without that emotional intelligence. (laughs) So let's let's keep going on that point. Yeah. Um, you know, the a term that's become commonplace in the U.S., especially since 9-11, uh, is if you see something, say something. Um, and I, you've touched on this in a couple of your responses, but should that apply to us when we see others behaving unethically? And I guess what you, you're indicating is it's really kind of a gray area, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's... That's part of why these ethical situations, they're called dilemmas. Right. We're dealing with this, is one option better than the other? If I call this out, how bad is that infraction? What will it do to the other individual? We're weighting all of these different factors every time we make a decision. We're thinking how it's going to affect us, how it's going to affect them, how it's going to affect the people around them, what's the payoff for each individual? And at the same time, as an ethics researcher, I do believe that if you see something, you should say something or at least think it through. Right, right. Think through the situation. And if you're saying something, maybe it's not going to the top level in the organization. Maybe it's going to someone that you trust, that you know, and asking them, hey, what would, what would you do in this situation? How would you process this? Right. Not even calling it out as unethical, just thinking it through to see. And then, okay, maybe it does need to be escalated to the next level. Right. I'm thinking of a specific example from, you know, from when I was a kid. Watching the Brady Bunch. Did you watch the Brady Bunch growing up? <laughs> a little, yeah. Do you remember the episode where I believe it was Bobby who became the hall monitor, and then he started reporting all of his friends for all their little infractions, and everyone wound up turning on him. <laughs> and so when you were talking about the emotional intelligence, that made me think of that. I think some of our listeners will probably remember that that as well. But well, and again, it's that. Driving five miles over the speed limit. Right. Are you going to report everyone that drives five miles over the speed limit? We would all be in big trouble, (laughs) wouldn't we? Right? So how do you cross that line? Is it both socially and, you know, legally unacceptable? Right. Then maybe we need to escalate it if it's hitting both parts of that definition. Yes. That's a really great way to think about it. You know, switching gears... uh, from talking about the ethics of others to, you know, discussing as we as individuals should behave. Um, and I think you've you've almost sort of hit on some of these, but are there any sort of quick, hard, and fast rules to guide our behavior to help keep us on track 
as ethical people and as ethical leaders? I think there are a few things that we can do to become more ethical. One is to really sit through and think through things. Really make our decisions carefully. Decision-making is key. Ethics is a realm of decision-making. There's also, it can be trained. You can enroll in an ethics course at your local university. Really? Or read up on it. Sure. Ethics is a skill, a lot like other decision-making type of skills. You can learn how to carefully make these decisions and be more conscious and aware of them. Mm -hmm. So my advice to any leader would be to, in the moment, step back, think through things. But then if you want to develop yourself in this area, seek it out. There are ways of doing it. From your perspective, mm-hmm. um, you know, is there, is there something a leader may commonly do that they personally don't perceive as unethical, yet others might? Um, and, and just thinking of an example, let's say, uh, let's say you're a leader and you have a team of people and you know some sensitive information, um, you know, maybe about some layoffs coming or, or, or what have you, and, and you, you are not at liberty to share that information. Um, Yet, you know, your team members might perceive that the fact that you weren't totally honest with them as the fact that, you know, you um, that you were misleading them in some fashion. That seems like that obviously would put a leader in a tough spot. But, um, you know, are there sort of those situations that, you know, we, we have to sort of put ourselves in other people's shoes and think, OK, would this even though I think this is ethically correct, how would this going to be perceived by others? Yeah, and I think that emotional intelligence, empathy, really comes into play there. We really need to have that empathy, thinking through when we're making these decisions for our employees or um, on behalf of our employees, deciding to protect them from this information. But at the same time, going back to building that culture of trust, building that ethical climate. If your employees really trust you and they know that you're ethical, 90% of the time, they know that you're really thinking through. And in this case, following the rules, um, maybe you're deciding not to let them know because you need to approach those people that are being laid off individually. Right. Maybe what you're doing is ethical. If they trust you, they might be a little offended, but then they'll recover quickly. Just sort of boiling all this down, we've covered a lot of ground here, Liz. Is there one piece of advice above all others that you would offer to our listeners about being an ethical leader? Really, I think it all comes down to thinking through your situation. At the end of the day, really thinking through the choices that you're making and not jumping to a snap judgment. At the same time, thinking of how it doesn't affect you, but affects everyone else. Yeah, that sounds like great advice. So Liz, one of the questions that we ask all of our guests, or just about all of our guests, uh, since this is a leadership-focused podcast, um, you know, can you share a moment of leadership that had an impact on you from your experience? Yeah, and it's funny, this is a hard question, and I work in the leadership space, 
and I consider myself to be lucky. I've had so many leaders and mentors that have really taken me under their wing and really developed me. More recently, however, I had um, a leadership moment with more of a colleague. They were project lead and they were setting me up to start taking over um, a project with a client. Right. And there's a lot of coaching involved there. One-on-one coaching, having meetings, I would present to the client, we'd get out of the meeting, we'd debrief. During one of these debriefing sessions, and I had had, I think I had just gotten my PhD at the time, and I was still nervous. I kept saying, just, I'm just saying, just so you know. And my colleague called me out on it. He said, you have the PhD. You're here for a reason. You're an expert. You know you know this information. Don't give them any reason to doubt you. You're a woman. They're always going to doubt you. Don't give them a reason to go for it. Have confidence and push through. And I still, when I'm presenting, when I'm leading meetings, when I'm working on projects, even when I'm writing emails now, I think through, am I engaging in this self-deprecating word use? I know what I'm here for. I know I have the expertise. Let's push through and do it. And it's all because of that one moment and that one piece of feedback. That's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. We've been talking to Dr. Liz Ritterbush, a consultant at DDI based in our Atlanta office, who is also an expert on ethics in the workplace. Liz, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm Craig Irons, inviting you to join us again for the Leadership 480 podcast and reminding you to make every moment of leadership count.